Slava Isusu Christu. Praise be Jesus Christ. Please be seated. And Jesus was curing on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees took exception to him. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord, the question of the Sabbath is a mute question even to this day. As some say, well, should we not be worshiping the Lord on the Sabbath? And of course, many of us do. We all should do that. But Jesus rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. And of course, we celebrate Christ on Sunday. We're not celebrating the Sabbath day. So it's a misnomer to say that Sunday is the Sabbath day. Let me talk a little bit about the Sabbath day. Uh, many of the attributes of the Sabbath have been transferred to the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. In every Lord's Day, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ because it says in the Acts of the Apostles, they gathered together for the first day of the week in the breaking of the bread, which the breaking of the bread was what they called the Eucharist. So every Sunday they did that, commemorating the anniversary of the Lord and sanctifying the seven days. Now many of the attributes of the Sabbath also <clears throat> were carried with them from their Jewish background. So for example, they did not work on the Sabbath. They did not touch money on the Sabbath. They did not heal on the Sabbath. It was more or less a sacred day. And today, at least the way I was raised, I don't know how others are raised, among the Slavs, the Sabbath day was a day of preparation for Sunday. So, in the, in the household, everything had been cleaned already. By Thursday, the whole house had been cleaned. And the food preparations for Sunday took place Saturday. So usually, uh, I was when I was growing older, I was sent out to do shopping on Thursday and get the things for Sunday and whatever else they needed. And when I was uh, growing up, they told me you cannot take a list. You have to memorize everything. And if you don't get the right things, we're going to talk to you about it. They're trying to train me. huh? So Saturday, what did I do on Saturday? Well, 
Sometimes I worked half a day. But by afternoon, I was sent to uh, take a bath, get get myself all cleaned up, and prepare for a light meal in the evening. And all the food for Sunday had been prepared in the house for on Saturday. And uh, sometimes uh, I would have to go sit in the living room and be quiet. And the house had to be quiet. Sending was always a very busy day. As my grandmother, she would get up and go to the first liturgy. And in those days, before World War II, at least if after World War II things got messed up a little bit, in our church they would have morning matins, Sunday matins, because Sunday is the day when you read the resurrection gospel. So most of the people don't hear the resurrection gospel on Sunday because they go to liturgy that day, which was required. But at the Sundays, there's another cycle of readings from the Gospels, and they usually prepare for another season. So now we're preparing for, we're fasting and preparing for Nativity of our Lord. So anyway, and you would go to church, and uh, you, if you were needed to be really cleaned up, they'd send you confession Saturday afternoon. Here we go to confessions. And so then we come home and we had that light dinner. Then Sunday we got up, got all our Sunday clothes on. Most people don't have Sunday clothes anymore unless you're in New York or someplace or Chicago where people still dress because they represented your baptismal clothes. Remember the first baptized would spend they would wear their baptismal coat for at least a week. They were mostly adults in those days in the early church. And then we come home and everybody got to liturgy in the morning uh, because by noon there were no more liturgies. Then later on they had them Sunday afternoon and all that. We never did that in our church. Maybe they do it now, I don't know. Uh, Sunday ended at 4.30 in the afternoon. Because it was sunset. If you were very strict, you'd go on the call on the phone and find out what time sunset. You were very strict. And, but there would be a big meal. It took all Saturday and then it would be warmed up. It would consist of like chicken soup and for the first course, and then there would be uh, meat and vegetables, and there would be um, a nice dessert, maybe two desserts on Sunday, one earlier and one later in the in the day. And uh, everybody would be there. The whole family would be there. 
for that dessert. So my mother and father would be there, my grandparents, my uncles and aunts, and everybody. And then after that, in the afternoon, they had their own recreations. My grandfather used to play pinnacle with his buddies. And then the late, late in the afternoon, they would have sandwiches. And then we would go to bed. But it was a very special day. Now, when I was older, if I was a good person, if I was a good boy, I would get money for ice cream, or I could go to a movie. But I had to be back by 10. And that was my weekend for me, usually. Next day, you had to go to school, or whatever you were going to do, or you worked or something. And you expected to behave yourself. Now, what if you did not carry all the rituals out? You were ignored, shunned in the house. They fed you, that's about all. They didn't talk to you. They didn't get all irate. If you, nobody, I never missed the church. I knew that would be too much of a disaster for me. So I'd run to that church to make sure that I was there for liturgy. And I like to go for mountains. I sort of like mountains. And uh, sometimes, if I was really a good boy, <laughs> I'd go to Vespers in the after Sunday afternoon. That was the end of Sunday. Then I could go to a movie. I knew all the angles. Huh? Knew all the angles. The Sabbath day is very holy. I know after World War II, people started going out and getting another job. They were doing labor on Sunday. They even did other jobs. And our country changed. So all of a sudden, a mother could not stay at home. Sometimes it took a mother and a father to support the family. So mother couldn't do all those things that she used to do for the Sabbath. My mother herself, she was a, sort of a nurse, you know, in the hospital. And so many, many times she worked. And the, the society were more and more neglected to recognize the Sabbath. They used to have blue laws in the United States. And uh, you could, they would, uh, nothing would be open. Maybe a drugstore or something like that. Most stores and things were not closed. Now they have malls and all of these things. People go to the mall to shop instead of worship God. They don't have time. So on a program that was here, he told me his, during the week, he would go for Eucharist to see the Eucharist because Eucharist is our daily bread that we prayed for in the Our Father. And he would go for Eucharist. And the, the liturgy was only 15 minutes. I can't imagine 15 minutes for the Eucharist or the Holy Mass. I think that's an abuse. But the fathers in our prologue, or the writers of the prologue, Ask why in the West they keep shortening their prayers. What's wrong with them? Uh, my dear brothers and sisters, we are dependent on God for everything, for every breath, 
breath we take. These people that uh, the only time they pray to God is when they're in trouble. I don't blame them, but they should pray to God constantly. It says in the Bible, you should pray constantly to God. And so the Sabbath is, ha- is ra- radically neglected in our country and maybe in other places in the world too. So how can we talk to God and tell him how wonderful we are when you do not appreciate him? How can we say to God, I thank you that my mother and father brought me into this world. I thank you for living in the United States where I can get an education and make a good living for the family. I thank you for all the beauty in my life, especially good health. Good health is a great gift. Without that, you can't do much. We have people in our group who are ill. We pray for them, Rhonda, every day. She's very good about it. I hope to God he makes a miracle for her. But that may not be his will. Maybe she's too good for this world. She's very good to this monastery. She's like a mother to this monastery. Very good to me and the monks. How can we actually be good to God? Well, God loved us first. So the answer to that is we should love him in return. He created us by his word. And his word became a man in Jesus Christ who is our high priest and our savior. And he works among us still, especially in the Holy Eucharist. I think Jesus said in the Gospel, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Every day we're taught before we go to bed to have an examination of conscience and talk to God about the day. How we fulfilled our obligations that day. Especially our obligations to him. Did we pray? Did we read the Holy Scripture? Did we study the fathers who comment extensively on the Holy Scripture and teach us what the early church thought about the Gospels, and they were writing it down. Those are the men that wrote it down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to save the memoirs of Jesus Christ for all generations. 
So this week I've been reading a little book about uh, morality. Morality is a result of the will of God, the Ten Commandments and the teachings of the Lord in the Gospels. Before that, the world was in Bedlam and really a abusive place to live. For 75% of the world, it is still an abusive place to live. They abuse each other terribly because they forget that that person was intended to live from all eternity and that he he or she is beloved by God and they don't even know about God. Somebody asked me, uh, and we studied it in the seminary, what is the minimum for salvation. Well, the moralist said it was a belief in a good God who is just and punishes the evil and does good to the good. That's insufficient. God is real to us in the most full extent in the Gospel of John when Jesus talks about his relationship to the Father, and then he includes us in that relationship. How beautiful. How glorious. What a gift. So Paul, quite a mystic in himself, beautiful, says, I live now, but Christ lives in me. So what you do, the way you act, the way you live, you are acting out your, your, the life of Christ in you. And we call that the deifying energies of God. Told you that many, many times. You should have that memorized. It's an elevating, beautiful gift. The question in the Gospels of the Pharisees of our Lord is irrelevant. What's relevant to that gospel is the fact that God was paid such good attention to everybody in his love for union with you. To be a Christian is to be Christ-like, to recognize they're calling you another Christ. To be a Christian is to always form your conscience according to the Ten Commandments, the precepts of the Church, and the teachings of the Gospels. To be a Christian is to read especially John's Gospel and fall in love with God. I like to think about the Gospel of John a little bit as the party Gospel. The marriage feast at Cana, the apostles gathering together to break bread, the early Christians in Acts coming together to eat the body and blood of the Lord in the Holy Eucharist. It was very, it's a really relevant gospel to life in relationship to heaven. Heaven 
is where we want to go. Fathers say a temple like this is a little bit of heaven on earth. It's a beautiful temple. It's covered with holy icons of the holy saints who pray with us. And in the middle of it, it has the holy table. It's interesting when the bishops were here to consecrate the the holy table and put the relics of the saints in there. And in our holy table are the relics of 12 apostles. And they anointed it with oil. They washed it. They anointed it with oil. They put special cloth on it that it will remain there forever until it falls apart. They took a lot of care with that. Then finally they went around and consecrated the walls of the church and the earth outside. So the, the land on which this temple stands is consecrated ground. And most Christians... They hope and they pray that when they fall asleep in the Lord, they're worthy enough to be consecrated ground. I've told you before that uh, story about the courier of ours. When he came to that town of ours, it was pretty bad condition morally. And uh, he prayed and fasted and ate potatoes. And one time he's walking past the cemetery. He said, that is a holy reliquary. He was saying, those the relics of the saints were in that, that cemetery because his people heeded his preaching of the gospel. He was also clairvoyant. It'd be nice. I teased the monks. I tell them I want them around me so I won't go to heaven by myself. There will be a procession and the holy monks will be with me. I think of that about most of the people I try to influence. They will live the Sabbath. They will pray daily. They will love God and not to worry about themselves because once you're in love with God, he's going to tell you your future. Once you have joy in your heart from Christ, you know your future. Your future is written on the pages of the New Testament. You are people destinated for heavenly glory. So don't worry about the trivia. That's what the gospel is telling us. Keep your eye on the greater goal. Fall in love. So, you know, in the West, there's a seminary. People, all these different religions they have in Europe, they're always talking, writing, and they have a, they're on a head trip. They're always talking about theology and this and that, da-da-da-dee-dee-dee. Dee. And half, half the time they don't get it right anyway. That's not your trip. Your trip is the trip of love. Love your neighbor, love God and your neighbor. 
And you will love your neighbor when you appreciate who made him and what his dignity is. And even if he's been pain or sorrow, you will pray for him. And you ask your neighbor for prayer. I think sometimes in America, you're afraid to talk to people about God. It's like forbidden. What kind of terrible place is this? America is a gift to God to us. That we live here, and at this time we're in this temple, it is designed by God for our happiness. He designed you for happiness, for love. Not romantic love that comes and goes like the weather, but a confound experience, a visitation of God that fills you with eternal joy. Starts on earth and grows even to heaven. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.